Hi there, and welcome to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Syed. This episode is brought to you by the Quantum Genius Program. Today, we're going to talk to someone who has a harrowing story of survivorship and thriving there afterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared on our podcast can be graphic in nature, and we recommend that you review the details of our podcast before listening. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. This week, I will be speaking to Tahani Aburane, real estate mogul and entrepreneur. A self-made millionaire, Tahani came from extremely humble beginnings. After being born to Palestinian parents in a refugee camp in Amman, Jordan, Tahani was married against her will at the age of 15 and sent to Canada without speaking a word of English. Slowly, she finished high school and managed to complete a business diploma from Conestoga College. Eventually, Tahani managed to leave her marriage and went on to build several successful businesses and a thriving real estate empire. How was life living in the refugee camp? You must have been very young back then, but what did life look like in your in your younger years from what you can remember? I don't know what it looked like, but I know what it felt like. It felt so happy, Amy. It felt so full of joy, so full of love and all of those amazing feelings. And I have um, a big family. I come from six brothers and two sisters. And um, Wow. And it felt so good just being there. That's amazing. So walk me through a little bit of your childhood look like into your teens. I know that you talk a lot about how your father told you that you can do anything and really inspired you to be the best that you could be. Yeah, I was um, very close to my dad in that refugee camp and I was always an early um, riser. And so my dad was always an early riser and me and him had a lot of um, connections early in the morning while everybody else was still sleeping. And at age 15, one day I come home from a normal school day to find that there is a party in the house and... um, walked in and as soon as they opened the door everybody said congratulations to honey and I'm like what just what's happening what's going on what's what's happening and then they said you just got married oh wow can you talk to me a little bit about that because like for people who I guess are more North American can you share what what's the process around that and how can that happen without you being involved So my ex-husband was in Canada and my family were um, in Jordan. And then the ex-husband, when he went to go find a bride, he was kind of like looking to find his match. And finally, the parents agreed that, that we would be a good match. I was very young. He was 10 years senior. It was a shock, of course, because I didn't know. But it was sort of like um, I went to my dad. I remember when I was told that I just got married. I was so stunned and I was so shocked that I went and I cried in front of my dad. I said, Dad, but you've always told me that I could go to university and you've and I and I love school and I and I believed in education because I always was learning that education is the only way out of poverty and for me that was my biggest life's goal you know to finish university and my dad looked me in the eyes and he says to honey 
I'm doing this for you and um, and Tahani, you are capable of doing anything you set your mind into. And those sentences or, or that, you know, just a few um, words that my dad spoke to me stayed in my heart forever and ever, even as I came to Canada and I started my life here. Um, so that is like, I am capable of achieving anything I set my mind to that stayed with me all along. And I believed my dad, I trusted my dad and, and I believed he was making the right decision as bad as it, it was. Like, if you think about it, I mean, I was a child bride. I was young. I was so naive. I didn't know anything, all of those things, but I used to get really mad at my parents for doing that to me. But then I just realized that they were doing it out of love versus out of like, you know, just trying to let go of me kind of a thing. Based on what you're telling me, it sounds a lot like they probably thought that they were giving you a better life, right? By sending 100%. you to Canada and giving you that opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. They were. And and again, um, as my kids, you know, always say to me, Mommy, you took one for the team. And and I know that my dad also made me realize that even though it is for my own betterment, but it is also for me to think about my family in the refugee camp, to try and make it so that, you know, I can help them. So it almost like gave me a big why to, you know, go out in Canada and make it better so that I'm able to support, you know, whatever way I could. As a 15-year-old, I didn't even know I could. To be honest with you, at that time, I was just totally shocked with no emotions. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I didn't cry. I didn't smile. I didn't laugh. It was a numbness. Even as I was leaving to go on an airplane and my neighbor stops me and says, this is what happens between a man and a woman. That was my um, sex lesson, you know, just before I got on the airplane. Even then, it just it didn't feel like anything. I just felt like, oh, I'm just getting on the airplane. I didn't feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss my family. Oh, my gosh, this is it's a different world that we lived in then than we do in right now. I mean, then if I was to call my parents and my mom and my dad once a year for a few minutes, that was huge. That was huge for me to be able to talk to them. It was so expensive. It was hard. Not everybody had a phone. They had to go to a variety store, like to a store, a corner store to speak to me and it was so loud and everybody was all around. So what made it more comfortable is that my dad would write me all the time. So I have all of his letters, every single letter he sent me until today I have it because I cherished it and um, and I loved writing to my dad. Let's talk about how, how life was when you landed in Canada. Can you walk me through? You're 15, you're in this new country, new language, right? <laughs> yeah. New everything. You're now with, you know, this husband that's been assigned to you. And uh, your husband was also a distant cousin, I believe, right? So Correct. related yes. to you. So now you're in this new country. Talk to me a little bit about what you remember in terms of how you were feeling and what you were thinking. It's more of like, I was feeling like I just, you know, I just have to go on. This is the feeling I had, you know, it's just like, okay, I have to go. It was almost like a dream, you know, like I'm going to go back and see my mom and my dad and my brothers. It was almost like, um, it wasn't setting. The reality wasn't setting. 
out of all of this, I was so excited to go to school. Like for me, that was my excitement, you know, not the wedding, not nothing, none of that, you know, it was me going to high school and I, I went and I registered and I remember that even my in-laws and my ex, they're like, you know what, if you can, if you can do this, you can, but in the back of their mind, they didn't think I would be able to continue. They thought, oh, she'll quit because it's so hard. But um, my determination of that education was the way out of poverty. My teachers and my principal and all of those, you know, thoughts that they instilled in me about education and how important it is stayed within me. And my big why, and that is to help my family back home, it just kind of drove me to go for my dreams and, and to learn English. And it was it was very shocking. I remember, you know, just by being in a school itself is so shocking because it was girls and boys where in Jordan it was just only girls or just only boys you know it was girls and boys holding hands I've never seen anybody hold hand or kiss not even on TV you know it was a lot of uh, differences small differences that I was seeing that was shocking that kept me kind of going but the realization was it's not just only shocking for me to see what is happening here but it was as shocking for the Canadians to see me being married at such a young age and I would be walking down the hallways and they would constantly ask Tahani are you really married Tahani are you really married because I guess for them it was a disbelief as kids went out after a normal school day to play and have fun and do what kids normally do. I would go home and attend to my housewifey duties, you know, like cook and clean and get ready, you know, before the husband comes home with the with everything that needs to. Because I was told that if any of that was lacking, that there's going to be no more school. So I was doing everything I could before school and then after school. So how were you studying then? Like, were you studying for your tests after hours? How did you finish high school? And then you went to college afterwards too, which yes, is amazing. Yes, yes, I went to, I studied after school. I mean, looking back, it's almost like my childhood was taken away because I did not enjoy that, Amy. I did not have a normal childhood because from 15, I became responsible as a wife as, you know, someone taking care of her husband, as someone that needs to learn how to speak English. And not only that, I also had a part-time job even after school because I had to make money so that I can make a little bit so I can send back home to help my dad and my brothers and all of them. So it was really busy and it was being a very responsible person at a young age. That's what that, you know, um, gave me. So when did you start realizing in your journey that, hold on a second, some of this doesn't feel right to me? Like, when did the numbness wear off where you started to question things? Oh, not until I was almost early 40s, believe it or not, because that stayed with me and the drive continued and I kept on going because it was after high school, it was college, then it was having the kids, it was starting, and then it was almost going through the divorce. And then it was, you know, my career. So it was not until after all of that, that I woke up in my 40s thinking, oh my gosh, really? I didn't feel really, I took on running, I took on jogging and running as a sport 
not knowing that that was the way I was dealing with my things. Isn't that amazing how sometimes, you know, don't realize things? It's so true. It's so true. So let's talk a little bit about you go through high school, you're going through college, you finish college. How was the marriage? I was in that marriage for 22 years to try and make it. And not until I realized that, it, you know, my, my kids gave me the strength to say enough is enough. When I left that marriage, Amy, I didn't know I could actually make it on my own. I didn't even know if I could pay for rent and food on my own. I didn't know any of those things, you know. So I was always dependent on my accent and the, and the men in the family for financial assistance, for anything else that goes with it. So it wasn't easy because he is, like you said, not distant cousin, but first cousin. So it was like divorcing, you know, your family. And it was really even more difficult, more difficult than just leaving a stranger saying goodbye, you know, so... I'm feeling inspired, inspired by her story and by her enthusiasm. It is so exciting to speak to a woman who has life experience and is truly thriving through adversity in her early life. I feel Tahani and I have similar experiences with our fathers. I was very close with my father and he always inspired me to be better. It sounds like her father did the same for her. What do you think was your rock bottom moment? Can you talk about that? Okay, even though it was the moment that I've decided to leave, but I honestly think that my rock rock bottom moment was when I was able to get my first home. And that's another story of how I got my first, um, I bought a semi and, and I opened that door and um, and at the time, uh, I, there was no furniture. I didn't have any money to buy the furniture or utensils or any of that stuff. And all I had is that home phone, if you remember, like not a cell phone, but a home phone. That's when I sat on the floor of that home, crying my eyes out, like, you know, going into that spiral of poor me mentality. Like, oh my gosh, why did this happen to me? This is supposed to be a joyous moment. Like, I mean, I'm getting the keys to my first home. It was supposed to be happy, but that did not trigger happiness. It triggered like, here I am on my own, having to deal with this, not knowing where my next payment is going to come from, not knowing if I'm able or capable of actually keeping this home, not knowing if I'm able or capable of taking care of my kids while I'm working. There was a lot of, you know, thought going around in my head and even around the same time I had um, a, a brother who was just only 54 that passed away so oh, that I'm was so even sorry to hear that that's okay yeah. you know it just life happens my mom also was like bleeding internally we didn't know what was happening so there was a lot and that's when at that time when I've decided that you know what I'm gonna go and get my hair cut and for me my long hair was everything Amy Everything was my long hair. You have you gorgeous know, had, hair. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. I had very, very long hair and I just yeah. went on and I chopped it. And that's when I knew that I wasn't feeling well. And that's when my friends around me knew I wasn't feeling well. So at this point, uh, were you already, had you already started your real estate career? Yes, correct. So you had your license, you purchased this house. 
with money you had made yourself, right? No, it was with no money because it was a no money down payment at the time. Okay. I don't know okay. if you remember, then you could buy a house with no money down. So it was just perfect. It was like perfect timing. It, it was the universe telling me that you, you know, there's a head start for you, Tahani. That's all I can say. Yes. So, so everybody started noticing there was something wrong and you did too. What happened next for you? That's when I kind of start going back to my early childhood being born in a refugee camp and that feeling inside of me that, that, that gratefulness that was within me that no matter how bad I have it, someone else in this world has it worse. In the refugee camp, where at points we would only have for dinner bread, you know, dipped in tea for dinner. You know, I still felt so grateful that we had these, you know, crumbs that we could, you know, dip in tea and eat because someone else did not have that to eat that night. And that's when I realized, thank God, Tahani, look, you've got a house, you've got your two kids, you've got your hands, you've got your eyes. And, and I start going more of from poor me, what I'm missing, you know, like not a good husband, not this, not that, to I'm so grateful I'm in Canada. I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for that. To the point where I filled myself with gratefulness. And that's when I picked up the phone and I sponsored a kid that did not have any of this that I had here. And that's where th- I became very focused, Amy. That's when I said, the, the ship has sailed. sailed. I got to become now more focused. And I start going and knocking on doors and and going to builders and asking for um, if they want to sell houses and so on and so forth. And to the point where my business, I, I did not know I was doing marketing 101 lesson. Yes, and that, exactly. You're, that, you're doing what they, what they teach all of us when we start real estate. Go, go door knocking, go, yes. go farm neighborhoods, you know? Yes. And, and not only that, but I also connected with people on a deeper level of telling them my why because now my why is not my family in the camp now my why are my two kids that I was to do everything I could to put a roof on top of their head and and I connected that you know why with people I said I'll do whatever I can because look I just came out of a divorce I do need to make you know money to put a roof on top of my head and you know and buy food but you just let me know what you want and let me try and help you with it people connected with that and people saw that I was eager to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Like the drive was there. I'm going to sell their house no matter what. I'm going to find them a house no matter what because I that was within me. And that's when things kept, you know, going bigger and bigger. And it was like a snowball that kept on, you know, to a point where I was selling extremely like lots of houses and um, doing so well. And, uh, and yeah, and everything else is history, I guess. Yeah. I think that Tahani did realize it was not okay because it did not feel okay at times. I believe strongly that we should respect others' cultures through understanding. It doesn't make situations right, such as the child bride situation in this case. But with understanding, we can understand that there is a reason for it. In Tahani's case, she really loved her family and knows even today that her parents loved her enough to make the decision to marry her and send her to Canada. 
they most likely felt that was her only way out of the refugee camp life. Tahani talks a lot about her healing tools and her gratitude practice. Gratitude practice is a cornerstone of my existence. I always have had a tendency to realize my privilege and practice being grateful even when I was not so privileged in parts of my own journey. I practice gratitude daily to improve my vibration and ensure I am ready to receive the gifts of the universe in the form of my own progress and successes. So let's talk about that history because you're, you're a phenomenal woman. And uh, not only have you built your own real estate empire for yourself um, in, in the form of a business, but you also have spent a lot of time creating a space for other women to learn what real estate investment looks like. And I, I really, really love this about what you've, what you've created because that has always been a very important point for me personally, right? To allow women to believe that number one, you can always be a property owner. And number two, you can invest in property and actually make return on it. Talk to me a little bit about that. About, I would say 2017, two of my brothers would have massive heart attacks within almost three months period. And they were younger than me. I remember that. And that's when I went in and I start asking myself deep questions because one of my brothers was in a coma for almost a month. We didn't even know that he was going to even, you know, come back to this life. And I started asking questions, deep questions like, you know, God blessed me with material things, with houses, with cars, with vacations. But it's still like, you know, if I were to die or if this would have happened to me, what would I want to leave this life, you know, or this legacy? What What is my legacy that I wanted to leave? And, and I was helping people at the time. I was helping men at the time. Most of my clients were men. And that coupled with, I was searching on the internet and I saw some stats of like the average widow in Canada is only 56. Imagine that, a widow, 56. And then it also says out of poverty line, out of all people that are under the poverty line, 86% of those are actually women, are actually women, which is even more crazy. And then I start reading stat after stat after stat. And that's when the light went on and I said, you know what? It's a full, a full circle because in my country, you're always around women. You're doing things with women and the men are doing things with men. And, and I felt I did not have that. I did not do a lot of that because I was always intrigued of how men think and what men think and how can I help men and how can, you know, men help me. So I was always, you know, going towards the masculine energy to try and learn. And I felt so good at the time to take that back, Amy. And give it back in a form of all of my life lessons, in form of all of my real estate lessons, whatever I can give this woman, I can. I said, I'm going to put an event on who would want to, you know, sit with me. And I honestly thought, you know, I'll be lucky if I can get 20, 25 women. Yeah. Little, <laughs> little, little did you know. <laughs> little did I know. Yes, the room would be filled and line up of women standing uh, at the door that want to learn more. And that's where after that first conference, I really realized it was not just only a community. It was a movement 
that we are creating, yeah, for women to finally stand up take responsibility and say, I am responsible for my financial well-being. And, and I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes too, because you, are ta- you, you talk a lot about how it's really important for women to show their presence amongst men in a room. And for a lay person, whether it's a man who's listening to this or a woman, why are we talking about women in this context? And I, I, I know I have my own opinions about it as well, but let's share with the listeners really what is the disadvantage right now in the way that we have societally promoted women not to be at the forefront of investing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't know if it is their fault or even for that matter of fact, it's even the men's fault. It's not either. Yeah. It's not anybody's fault. Yeah. It's not anybody's fault. It just that it was always in history that the men were taking care of the financial well-being of a house, you know, like men are taking care of the expenses and the mortgages and all of that. And women kind of trusted and went with that. Right, Amy? So it wasn't anybody's like, you know, fault. But what's happening right now is that more women are awakening and say, actually, you know what? This is not so bad. I can learn to do this too. Especially, you know, if the widow, you know, age is 56, that is so, so young, so young. And then they're at 56, they're going to start learning about real estate and learning where to sign and learning, you know, what they're signing and learning what, you know, to look for. And the same thing, even for young women right now, even downtown Toronto, there isn't more and more young women buying condos than ever before. So I feel that. I could have taught the woman these things before. And I feel like I was as passionate about it then that I am right now. But the one big difference is that the women were ready to hear my message now than any other time before. So that was just, yeah. So that was just absolutely beautiful that they both merged in at the same time. And that's where we're seeing the exponential growth in this movement in everything i mean it's not about the houses amy please i want the listeners here to know it's not about the houses but it really is about security like you know creating the security that they want absolutely and that that was gonna that was gonna be my next question (laughs) was what do you think why do you think it's so important and you're correct it's all about security it's all about what It means, you know, in terms of having a house in the mind of a woman and the woman is more driven by security than even men are, you know, and that's why women go for men that can provide the security because that's what they're driving for. So now it's time for them to also, even if they have an amazing husband right alongside them, they can still do this and they can create it even, you know, for for both of them. And they can also be the role model for their kids that it's, it doesn't really matter. And that's actually, I was just doing a post today. What I love about real estate, it never differentiates between a man and a woman. Like it never differentiates gender wise. A house doesn't look at you and say, oh, you're a woman, you know, and I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
It's all about numbers. It's all about understanding what you're looking for. And it's always, and it's all about what is security mean to you. So to all of the listeners, that is a question that you need to ask yourself at a deeper level. And what is that number that would make you feel secure, you know, and feel like you, as if you're taken care of. And if it's some people, it's just only 2000, some people it's five, some people it's 10 or 20. I really don't know. A month I'm talking about I don't don't know but it's important to ask yourself that question and then go about okay who is around me that has achieved that and who is around me that can help me achieve that and then that's where you start your learning journey to get to where you want to. I love that and is that what you did Tahani when you were building up your empire it's, it wasn't for me at the time more about um, what is my security for me. It was about taking care of my kids, if you remember. So really, it's about finding your why because life is like, look, our lives are not a straight line or a straight line going up like that. It's There is the up and then the down in life, right? And, and when you're in a downturn and when things are hard, when there is overwhelm and then there is too much worry and all of that, you need something that kind of picks you up and gets you moving forward again. And for me, that was my kids. For me, I knew that no matter what, I needed to take care of those two little young souls. And I needed to be the role model that my daughter and more so my son needs to look at, you know, as as they grow older. So in each of our episodes, Tahani, we often ask people who they'd like to honor um, and who they'd like to dedicate the episode to. Do you have somebody in mind like that? Yeah, at this moment, um, even though my, I, I would say my parents, my dad who passed away already long ago, and my mom as well, because um, no matter what they were doing, they were doing everything out of love. I love them more than they could ever imagine. And for my dad who instilled in me that same belief that I started this episode with, and that is I'm capable of doing anything. And for me, to bring about this to all the listeners to say, no matter who you are, you are more capable than you ever think you are. Oh, you're amazing, Tahani. Thank you so much for joining us today. I so appreciate it. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on and thank you to all the listeners. I want listeners to hear this podcast episode and realize what Tahani is really saying. To never give up and know that you can be successful no matter what you do. I love the deep dive she did on what wealth looks like to you. What monthly amount would make you feel secure? I practice this in my own life and with my own clients in all of my businesses. My drive to make others successful lies in the ability and awareness to make wealth that provides that security. Thank you for listening to Calm After the Storm. The podcast is dedicated to telling stories about survivorship, healing, and thriving after trauma. Tune in next week to hear another incredible conversation. If you like this episode, support Calm After the Storm, Survivorship, and Other Stories by leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Calm After the Storm is created by me, Amy Syed, and produced by Quill Incorporated. Special thanks to our guest today, 
Tahani Aburani. Be sure to check out her initiatives at tahani.ca slash ignite or www.femalesinrealestate.com. <laughs>